This morning is September 13th. It is 2009. Our message is, Do Not Believe Your Eyes. Where I'm from in Louisiana, some of the friends would say, You can believe that. And they'd say it so fast, it was more like, Believe that. You can believe that. There are some things we cannot believe that our eyes see. You'll be turning with me to Genesis 2. When we talk about seeing or sight, Webster defines sight as the physical sense by which light stimuli is received by the eye and is interpreted by the brain and constructed into a representation. <laughs> you can see something, light reflecting off of a surface, and your brain interprets that in size and space. It gives it a shape. Most of the time gives it a color. But that does not mean that that is accurate. Anybody in here have corrective lenses? Yep. Why do you have to have them corrected? Because sometimes your eyes are not correctly perceiving what is there. Even with perfect vision, you can't see the whole spectrum of light. Matthew has equipment that can be embarrassing. <laughs> you can look through this that shows a whole spectrum of light the naked eye can't see and see things sometimes people don't want you to see. <laughs> Our sight is not always correct. It is simply the way that our brain has reconstructed something. You might even say at times it's open to interpretation. Have you ever gone by a painting and seen people staring at it? And some say, I see this. Or somebody says, I see this in it. Funniest thing is to do that at Walmart, and then in the bottom right-hand corner it says, this is not one of those kind of paintings. <laughs> well, why do the people see it? Other times... There is something abstract just in the distance that either just in or just out of focus can be seen. I don't do very good with those. I, I, I miss it. Other people can see them right off. My wife's one of them. She can look at one of those paintings and see whatever is there. Why? Our sight is subject to something. It's subject to our interpretation. Look at uh, Genesis 2 with me. We're going to pick up in the 16th verse. Our topic is do not believe your eyes. And the Lord God commanded the man. When you hear the word commanded, this is mitzvah. To us, command implies um, overbearing, kind of, right? If I say, I asked Mandy to do something, that sounds a lot better than I commanded, right? But when we're speaking about God, a command carries with it something that is not overbearing, but a direction of life. All of the Torah is aimed at pointing you towards life. So when it says the Lord God commanded, he's not being ugly. He's trying to show them the way to life. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. Isn't that amazing that those are the very first words God says to man? You are free. First command, to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely God. Turn with me to Genesis 3.1. Maybe it's fast. How about that? I had a LASIK surgery. It seems that my eyes, as they were, were giving my brain information that was inaccurate. And so somebody took a scalpel and a laser to my eyes and reconstructed it in a way that my brain would properly interpret what I was seeing so that it would become accurate. Have you ever been so sure that you saw something? 
so sure that you're willing to fight with other people about it, but they saw it differently. We need to recognize something, saints. All of us, every single human being in this room is open to missing this. Everyone. To the point where Jesus is the revelation or the sight of God for man. He is the accurate perception. He is the way things ought to be. And he is the only one that is that way. How about that? Genesis 3.1 Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? We're going to read this a couple times uh, through the first ten verses. So let's just catch the story first. Did, did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Satan is the one who suggested to mankind, suggested to Eve and all of mankind through her, that to have your eyes opened was to know both good and evil. Mankind was familiar with good. He had been walking with God. We knew what good was because we knew God and he knew us. But to have our eyes opened, we were naive to something. We were naive to the effects of evil on the world. The reason you know we were naive is it was here. There wouldn't be a tree of knowledge of good and evil unless it was here. But man had never experienced it before this point. Once their eyes were open, our own nakedness, vulnerabilities, exposure, susceptibilities were exposed. Isn't it funny that even in our legal terms today we use terms like this? What's my exposure in this situation? How naked am I? Am I susceptible to lawsuit here? From the very beginning, man had no knowledge of his own vulnerabilities, weaknesses, susceptibilities, because as long as he was naive to what was evil and clinging to God, he had none of them. The moment we took this knowledge upon ourselves, we had all of them. Our quest was to become like God. That's why we ate of the tree. To become like God, but not able to handle the things that God can handle. Can you uh, relate to that? Have you ever been given a position that you didn't do well in? No, none of you, right? All of you succeeded perfectly. You've never been asked to do something you thought was above your head, so you fumbled it? Come on, church. Okay, well, Steve's the only honest man in here. Are you kidding? 
He then sought to cover the imperfections with his efforts. Once man's eyes are open to all that is good and evil, he begins to see that he is naked. He begins to see that he's vulnerable, and what does he want to do? Say, Lord, I'm naked and I need your help? No. Hide it from everybody. No, no, uh, I'm okay. You're okay. We're all good. You stay over there behind that bush. I'll stay over here, and we're going to pretend everything's all right. How about that? Not a lot has changed, really. It is not the normal place of a human being to say, you know what, that broke my heart what you did. I'm having trouble even keeping a smile on my face. My confidence is destroyed, and I don't know what to do. You ever had a boss tell you that? No, never, have you? (laughs) Never. What we're experts in is criticizing each other. We are experts in pointing out each other's vulnerabilities. We are experts in seeing clearly into someone else's life while having a log in our own eye. It has never stopped amazing me in ministry. To be in ministry, you have to give up everything. There's no question. That's true to be in Christ, but it's even more so true to be in ministry. This means that the plans that I had for my future, I remember walking in and telling my mother and father, you know that college plans that... uh, We've all discussed now for years. I feel like Jesus said something else. Can you imagine how hard that was? I know what it is to walk in and tell a boss. I know I just got a favorable performance review, and I made twice the amount of money here this year that you told me I would make. I made twice that. But I believe Jesus is moving me on. Or to walk in and hand a brother a title to a car. Or to get punched in the face in front of all of your peers, spit blood on the ground, and smile. And Jesus requires every bit of it. And yet I can be here as a pastor and say something. And the same thing happens that has been happening from the beginning of time. Let's walk through this process together. Man originally only saw or perceived that which was good. He was naive about what was evil. But now that his eyes were open, there's a reversal in his condition. Let's look at this path to deception, this covering, hiding, and trying to look as if everything's okay. First off, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat? Were those the first words God said, you must not eat? What did God say? You are free. God says you are free. What did Satan say? God said you must not. It's about a half truth. But what does that half truth really do? It does what all of us tend to do. We assign to ourselves perfect motives and misconstrue everyone else's. See, because now for the first time, Eve is questioning, does God really have my best interest in mind? I brought all those things up about ministry because you need to ask, why do pastors do what they do? Why do teachers? Why do parents, children? Why do your parents correct you? It's because they hate you, right? It's because they're trying to grind you into the earth. They're trying to belittle you. They're trying in some way to damage you. Because that's good for them, right? It does wonders for their name if you're horrible. Is it really that much different with any authority figure God puts in your life? Listen to Eve's path here. She misconstrues God's motives. She sees what he designed as freedom and the way to life as simply restriction. Then she moves on to do something else that I hear constantly. I've done it many, many times, and I hear it constantly. She exaggerates what God did say. Have you ever been trying to prove a point like maybe Dad and I are talking, and I want Dad to understand that Steve was ugly to me, right? And maybe Steve never raised his voice. 
But he said some pretty ugly things with a smile. Like, you know, Eric, that is the singular most ugly shirt I've ever seen, and you wear it every week. Right? And it pierced me. I mean, it hurt. So I walked away from Steve, and I'm trying to explain this to Dad, but to make sure that Dad gets the full impact of this, I mean, he wasn't there, he can't really appreciate it. Instead of just quoting what Steve said, I add something to it, like, and he snarled at me. Or he hated me when he said it. Or something intangible that truthfully didn't occur, but it just kind of adds that extra descriptor to help Dad know exactly what just happened to me. A real famous event in my life, famous within my family circle anyway, a man said that I screamed and yelled at him. I was there. There will be angels one day that can report accurately to this. I did not scream and yell at him. did not happen. doesn't mean I was innocent. just means I did not scream and yell. And you know what? I've come to realize he's just trying to convey the way I made him feel. I made him feel as if I was screaming yelling, and I didn't have to scream and yell to do it. It still is his perception. It has gotten in there, and to him it has become as real as could be, even though it did not happen that way. Well, now Eve has exaggerated what God said. There is a problem with exaggerating what God has said, or what God didn't say. Because now when she walks up to this thing and she goes... doesn't die, what is she emboldened to do? She's emboldened to go the rest of the way. Saints, this is a trap. When authority figures over us have given us some kind of instruction, some kind of command, we need to be careful not to misconstrue their motives. Not to assign evil motives to them and good motives to us. We need to be careful not to exaggerate what they've said. Eventually, Eve was manipulated into seeing the actual correction, the actual truth, the actual word of God intended to point towards life as the problem. She is standing there having looked at this thing, seen that it's good to eat and all of those things. She said, you know, really the problem is God said not to eat this. That's the problem. The problem's not my desire to do it. The problem's not that the serpent's trying to trick me to do it. The problem is that God said not to. And I'm going to fix that problem. You've never been in a situation like this, have you? Have you ever said it? Have you ever been sitting there and thinking, boy, when I was lost, I would have... Yeah, yeah. You ever been kind of lamenting? Back in the world, man. Yeah, I know. We all have. What we're doing is we have now decided the problem is really God's Word. The problem is really that we want to do something that we can't. And we're assigning God with problems. Look, look where it goes from there. Eve started to consider forbidden things as good food. She's not even allowed to consider this. But she's considering a forbidden food as something that she calls good for food. Who told her it was good for food? The devil. That sounds so ugly to us, right? Like, obviously, she should have known. But to her, in that moment of deception... It's just good food, right? Because this has been her perception of it. She's staring at it. She says it's good for food. It's pleasing to my eyes. It's desirable for gaining wisdom. The problem with being deceived is that you don't know when you were deceived. If you were, if you did, you wouldn't be deceived, right? Is there nobody in here that has ever been convinced of something?
something and then had God throw a light switch and you go, I can't believe it. I'm so sorry. What'd you do? Did you pick up the phone and call the person? Did you go to them? Or did you just say, that's between me and God? <laughs> were you as public about it when God fixed the problem in you as you were when the problem occurred and you vocalized it? easiest things in the world for me to do is preach. I mean, it, it, it is easy for me. Maybe the hardest thing in the world to do is have those personal conversations with a smile that are difficult because they address difficult areas. And the reason it's become so difficult is because I know what to expect because I know what I would do in your situation. I would see all the things wrong with the person talking to me. Young men are the worst at this especially adolescent men that don't yet have uh, families, have not been humbled by their own imperfections yet. Because we young men, when we're between about 16 and 25, have got this amazing confidence that causes wars to be won. Causes all kind of amazing things to happen. We're built for warfare, but self-perception is not high on that list. Right? My kids are coming into really neat areas in their life. And every once in a while I realize they have an idea of something that they believe they can do because they've never tried it, right? They hadn't been crushed yet. I heard a comedian the other day say his sons were amazing creatures. They'd pick up bricks and say, you know what, let's play a game. I'll throw this brick at you as hard as I can and see if you can dodge it. Seems like a perfect idea until you do that, right? Sometimes when you're speaking with people, you realize they just have not played that game yet and found out how bad it hurts. But they're convinced they can do it and everybody else is stupid for not even trying. Self-perception. Lastly, this self-deception that the woman participated in and her husband was completed as they tried to hide the results of their actions. When it becomes clear that we have erred, when we've made a mistake, what do we do about it then? Do we shove it under the rug? Do we cover it up with something? Do we cover it up by simply busying ourselves in another activity and acting like the other one never happened? Do we cover it up by just saying, oh, brother, you know I love you? How do we cover these things up? See, man's very best efforts to cover up this did not hide it from God. In fact, the questions that God asked the man are really more of an exercise to help the man. Let him know how he got in that position. Did you eat from the tree I told you not to? Do you really think God didn't know? He was trying to get the man to see where the root cause of the problem was. The problem's not that God lied to him. The problem was he did something God said not to do. How quick is the man to get the picture? What does he do first? Blame everybody else. Are we really any different? When you have been wrong, are you quick to see it or slow? If you do see it, do you cover it? Or do you expose it before God? If you don't expose it, do you point to others? Well, the problem may not be with him. It's with his wife. It's not with his wife. It's with his kids. It's not with his kids. It's really the neighborhood they live in. All those people are that way. Or how about this one? All people that color are that way. Huh? How does that happen? Oh, it doesn't, Eric. It doesn't. Not among Christians, really. Really, you, you can't think of examples, if not in your own life, and someone else's. 
I wonder why Jesus taught the things that he did about removing logs from our own eyes so we could see clearly to remove the speck from our brothers. Hmm. Turn with me to Romans 16, 19. are not only not accurate, they kill. 
How many people died in Israel because of that inaccurate perception? An entire generation of fighting men. You go back and add them up, it's in the hundreds of thousands died because of that inaccurate perception. Now, could you hear this, though? But it was accurate. They were Nephilim. They were bigger than us. They were fighting for the right to be right. How many times did Israel misconstrue Moses' motives? Did you bring us out into the desert to kill us? Do you think Moses was happy or unhappy just being a shepherd? Had a nice wife. Was doing well for himself. Did he choose to see that burning bush that day? How often did he talk to God while standing in God's presence and say, Send somebody else, please. I know these people. Send somebody else. Send somebody else, please. To where God corrected him and said, I made your mouth. Shut up. Do what I tell you to do. God never says shut up. He says in Hebrew, it's sheket. (laughs) But it's the first sign of trouble that misconstrued his motives. Even... Even his older sister and his older brother. And I blamed his wife. How about that? Do you think that this is deeply ingrained in our human behavior? I assure you it is. I've rarely ever had a dispute with my boss where I was not sure he was wrong and I was right. Jesus is working with me. In fact, God has put me in many situations where the boss was completely incompetent for no other reason than to let Christ's character be formed in me. Would you say it's incompetent for a man not to be able to read a mortgage or credit report and be the head over a mortgage banking division? That's probably classic incompetence, right? And yet, he hired me and he accepted my resignation. He was there when I got there and there when I left. Why do you think God did that? Why do you think he ordered my footsteps? Why do you think he put me in that position? Now let me tell you, let me assure you, I grumbled about that. So, consequently, it wasn't my only go around that mountain. We have a way of seeing with perfect clarity the faults in everyone else's life and being equally blind to the faults in our own life. about Mr. Aiken. This is Joshua 7.21. When he saw among the plunder a richly ornamented robe and several wedges of silver. He saw it. I mean, why should we burn all of this? And it's worth something. It's good. Caused him to die. His wife to die. His children to die. His livestock to die. Was his perception correct? Why is it that we think things are desirable, pleasing to the eye, good for food, when God says they will kill us? Is there anyone you've hung on to bitterness with in your life? Knowing that the word says that bitterness is a root that will defile many? But you don't know what he did to me. What difference does it make? It's killing you. How about David? David saw Bathsheba. 2 Samuel 11.2. So you know what God did? God sent David a seer. 
When our perceptions are inaccurate, God brings us a correct perception. And it usually has to come from the outside in. You know why? We've already polluted everything inside. What is the first thing that your gut tells you to do? Not the Holy Ghost, your gut, when you have a real problem with someone. You have somebody you confide in, right? And when you confide in them, do you assign the other person motives? And when you confide in your friend and you're consigning the other person motives, do you maybe exaggerate even one little detail of the story to make sure your friend understands how badly you were mistreated? See, this problem's been going on forever, hasn't it? Turn with me to 2 Kings. No, I lied. Turn with me to Proverbs 21. At this point, our eyes have become our enemies because our perceptions are not based on God's Word. Our eyesight or our perception about the world around us is tainted with a desire to hide and cover our own nakedness, our own exposure, our own susceptibility. And at the same time, we desire, we want to become, be viewed as well-fed, pleasing to the eye and wise. This false perception has gotten us all into trouble. In Proverbs 21 Verse 2, all a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. It's so funny. I was actually in a situation where I sat down across the table from someone and I read this scripture, right? Now, what they couldn't know is that I was reading this scripture as a pretext to describe how difficult it had been to come to this decision that we were talking about, right? In other words... I'm agonizing over this decision because all of my ways seem right to me anyway, and I need this to be the Lord's way. Does that make sense? You get that? But as soon as I read this, the person nearly leaps across the table and says, That doesn't make you right! What do you think that that means? When he looked at this, did this show him his life or mine? See, the word is supposed to be a mirror. When you look at this and you read something like this, all the man's ways seem right to him. Your thoughts should not be going, that's right, Gabe and John, they think they're right and they're not. Abel and David think they're right and they're not. That is not what should be coming to you. It should be a slap right in the face challenging your own perception of the situation. Did you really hear from God? Did a seer really tell you this? Have you accurately absorbed this, or are you simply self-deluding? Why would the Bible have to tell a people group that is God's people, they're following him by fire at night and cloud by day, something like this? Because all mankind has the same disease. Look what else he tells him. Go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 12. Then we'll go to 2 Kings. Are y'all quiet because you're upset? Deuteronomy 12. Look at uh, verse 25. 
Do not eat it, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is right. What's that phrase? In the eyes of the Lord. Why not what is right in your eyes? Because the Bible acknowledges first and foremost that your sight, your perception, your reconstruction in your mind of the way everything is around you is inherently tainted. It's not important to do what is right in your eyes. Everything you do is right in your eyes. What is important is to do what is right in the perception of the Lord. Now, that's a harder thing, huh? Because what do you do? I I heard Bill Clinton say it. He said the problem, he's talking about the Middle East, with hearing from God is these people believe they've heard from God and these people believe they've heard from God and they've heard two different things. I don't know because he didn't say it, but I believe the conclusion he must have come to is nobody hears from God. I think that too is an incorrect perception. God will be proven right. There's no question about that. But it ought to instill a certain fear in us. It ought to make us go, maybe I'm not right about this. I need to get on my face and pray and get my heart right. And would you rather have humbled yourself too far or exalted yourself too high? Let me ask you, if you are going to make an educated guess based on your knowledge of the 66 books, which do you think would be more pleasing to God? Humbling yourself too far or exalting yourself too high? This is why a great sage just before Jesus named Hillel said, my humiliation is my exaltation and my exaltation is my humiliation. Because he understood if he was going to make a mistake in any direction, it better be going too high. How arrogant it is to assume that everybody around you is wrong about everything, but you're right. And yet, you have to have that kind of boldness at times, because guess what? That's how you got saved, didn't it? The whole world is going to hell, but the Lord has revealed to me knowledge of his character in a way not to go to hell. So it is a difficult tension to make sure that you are doing right in the eyes of the Lord, isn't it? This is why the Bible says to work it out with fear and trembling. Turn with me to 2 Kings. You already bored with me? Originally, we were blind to evil and clear-sighted towards the good. Now, our natural state is to be blind to good and clear-sighted about what is evil. In 2 Kings 6, let's start with... uh, Verse 8. Now the king of Amram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Those of you that insist that the Bible must always be taken literally in every case, see if you can find such and such place on a map. The man of God said, word. By the way, I am a literalist. I take the Bible as literally as I take you when you speak. And you say, man, that's cool. I don't believe it lacks temperature. I think that you're probably describing something that you find fascinating. The man of God sent word to the kings of Israel. Beware of passing that place because the Armenians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time time and again, Elijah warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. 
he summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet, the seer, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Amazing things happen in Dothan. That's where Joseph got thrown in the well. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Now, a prophet is a seer. And Elisha had seen clearly what the king of Amram was doing, or Aram, rather, was doing, because he's a seer. His servant was not a seer. He's just a regular guy. And so he uses the eyes that he has, and he looks around, and what does he see? A strong force with chariots all coming to attack. When you see something like that, how do you feel? You all feel monotone? You feel dead? You feel like taking some Prozac? How do you feel when forces have amassed against you? When you look out and you see more than enough power to put your life to an end, how do you feel? See, every time we get into an argument of any kind, every time there's a disagreement, especially if it's with people that are close, especially if it's with people that you care about them, the fallout is worse and worse and worse and worse. The temptation is to not get into relationships with people then, to just stand your distance, right? Except God's called us to be in relationship with each other. This man looks out and he sees a strong force against him, so what does he do? He begins to whine and panic. But is he seeing the world as it really is, or is he simply seeing what his eyes tell him? When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. See, he is right. A friend told me this week, he said, Brother Eric, he said, there's two sides to every story. I said, oh, I know. He goes, wait, and then there's the truth. (laughs) It's kind of like having two Jews and three opinions. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. We have a man called a seer, and he is saying something that is patently false, right? Couldn't the servant have said, man, you must have lost your marbles. You've lost the anointing because I'm looking and I don't see it. He's not the seer. It's not his job to hear from God and see this, is it? What was his job? To serve the one who had that role. If you see something clearly and you think your brother or your sister does not see it, we can learn from Elisha here. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then he opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. What changed? Did the hills change? Did the number of people there actually change? The only thing that changed was the man's perception. 
this is when we get revelation. And saints, we can no more get mad at somebody that doesn't see something. <laughs> That'd be like being mad at a blind person who doesn't understand what a color is. Nor can we get mad because somebody sees something we don't. We need to leave room for God to clear up the perception. Lord, open our eyes to heavenly truth. Lord, blind our eyes to the worldly deceptions that are around us. Turn with me to Psalm 19. We're working our way towards the New Testament. That usually makes you all happy. By the way, what do you think Elijah's motive was on Gehazi's behalf? Gehazi was his servant. Do you think Elijah wanted to hurt Gehazi? Yeah. Think he brought him out there to kill him? Was he praying, Lord, open his eyes because he thought he was stupid? No, he simply realized he didn't see something that Elijah saw. That's an amazing perspective, isn't it? In Psalm 19, we see something that I would like to kind of refer to as the new tree of life. Uh, Have any of you walked into a garden and seen the tree of life? Yeah, I hadn't either. So, since we are not, we're, we're east of Eden at this point, and you can't walk up and stare at a tree of life. Everything that that first one did for us that was not good, the tree of life I'm going to present you right now will do for you, but in a good way. In Psalm 19, starting in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. If you believe that, it doesn't allow you to assign or misconstrue motives on God's behalf. Or those he's anointed for a purpose. Making wise the simple. Do you remember that Eve just wanted? Just wanted. Desirable for gaining wisdom. We have something in front of us that will give us the correct perception in every situation if we seek it. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Um, This might be worth learning. You cannot hear from God while you're mad. I don't care how holy any of you are. And I'm sure all of you are very holy. Uh, Especially if you go beyond mad into that other word that people use that is two words, something off. It is impossible to hear from God. So, if you believe after leaving an argument with your spouse, where you both called each other ugly things, and then you got in your car and you thought how horrible that spouse is, and then you heard from God something, Uh, If it's anything other than you're in sin, stop, turn around, go get on your face and repent, you didn't hear from God. I want you to understand that. It's not possible. It is not possible to be mad and hear from God. How many decisions have been made while in the trenches of offense in your life that have not turned out well? How many times have we decided in the moment of hurt... That is never going to happen again. You ever said those words? That is never going to happen again. Really? So are you going to insulate yourself from God's will to make sure that happens in the way that you think it should? I was in a a dispute. My father was right and I was wrong. Uh, That happened an awful lot in our teenage years. Uh, Every gray hair on his head is probably the result of me. And I remember thinking to myself, you will never make me cry. Again. Come on, teenagers, you never had a thought like that with the authority figure over you? 
clenched fists, standing each other, staring each other across the room. I'm crying, and I thought, never will you make me cry again. That was not from God. Now, it's easy for you to hear it's not from God, but at the time, I felt perfectly justified. I did everything I could for the next several years to harden my heart so it was not possible to make me cry. You think that made me in better shape or worse shape? Every decision you make while angry, while disgruntled, while hurt, is suspect to your incorrect perceptions. I listened to Matthew repeat the sentence four times to somebody not long ago. Four times in a row. And each time they missed the most important words in it. And they heard only what they wanted to hear. Because their feelings are so hurt they can't get past it. But they're sure they're seeing correctly. And Matthew and I and the elders in the church and everything else are all wrong. It could be. That is possible. This is not a Pope standing here. I didn't get the hat. Uh, I don't have the collar. There is no Vatican for me to run to. But I want to ask you if you think it's more likely that everybody that got anointed in this church to make decisions in the church is wrong and somebody else is right. I'm not really asking you. I just thought I would throw that out there for a perception. So what do we do? Do we shoot somebody that doesn't see what we see? You can't. You can't. It's not his fault. It's not her fault. They just don't see it. What do you do? You pray that their eyes be open. And if there's something that you think that your leadership does not see or sees incorrectly, what do you do? You pray for them. Will you be benefited by a pastor who sees or doesn't see correctly? Which should you be more invested in? Should you be more invested in my myopia or my healing? The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Uh, I have members in my family that don't like to drive at night. Uh, they don't see as well at night as they do in the day. You got anybody in your family like that? That's a pretty common problem, isn't it? If you think of the world as this present darkness and God is speaking his light into it and the light is separating the darkness, his commands make your vision better at night. See, we don't have any problem admitting we have trouble driving at night. Why? Because there's so much glare and there's so much darkness and there's so much confusion. And you welcome more light. You want better lit roads. You want better head beams on your car. And if you can, you will not drive at night. We welcome God's word to be light in our eyes. Could it be that we've misconstrued the problem to be God's word? And that we really don't like what it says? Turn to Matthew 18. And on your way there, stop in Malachi. How they saw themselves versus how Jesus sees them. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I need no thing. Sounds like they pretty well got it all covered, don't they? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Sounds a little bit like Jesus is telling an entire church. You don't realize how vulnerable and unhealed you really are. And you're confidently espousing that everything's great with you, the problem's with everyone else. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. 
there's a divine character that he will pour into you. It requires you to be uncovered so that he can clothe you. White clothes to wear, righteous acts, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Here's my favorite part. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Many times in my life I have incorrectly perceived something. In fact, I identify probably most with Samson. A creature who is led mostly by his passions. And all of his best efforts keep separating him from everyone that he loves. And in the end, after his eyeballs have been removed from his head, he can finally see as God intended for him to see. When he no longer had his natural senses to hang on to, he remembered, I'm a Philistine killer. That's what I'm here for. Not for chasing Philistine girls. Not for fighting with the men of Judah. Not for fighting with his mom and dad. I'm here to kill Philistines. And in that moment, God had mercy on him. And without even having the use of his two eyes, he killed more in that day than in all the years before and accomplished God's will for his life. Let me ask you, do you need to have a Samson moment? Could we gouge out our eyes and ask that God would give us eyes to see that we might be healed? Put salve on them? Y'all stand to your feet. We're going to come back, some of the men, for a men's meeting, and the rest of you will all go on your own way. I think the only thing worse than not seeing something correctly is kicking against the goads that God puts in your life trying to get it. How many men of God had to be blinded so they could see it Jesus' way? Is God trying to send Ananias to you today to remove scales from your eyes? trying to turn you into something he can use for his glory. It all rests in your response. Mighty God, Lord, we love you. Our heart's desire is for you. Lord, I speak these words in total faith. My belief, Lord, my hope, is that you will remove scales today. Lord, that we will stand before you vulnerable willing to be healed in every area, willing to admit fault in any area. Our hope, Lord God, is that you will build in this group a united band of warriors that become Philistine killers because we're not dependent upon what our eyes see. We're dependent upon what your Spirit shows us. We love you, Jesus. We dedicate our lives to you. We're going to close in this song, saints.
about our day. Mighty God, your word says that even in the darkest of place, even if we are fallen seven times over, you will make your light shine for us again. Well, Lord, we embrace that. We ask for it. Sometimes, Lord, we just don't know what to do. So we're appealing to you. You are our king. You have made your face to shine upon us, and it is glorious. Your word revives our soul, and it enlivens our eyes. Lord, with all of our heart, we love you. We dedicate afresh to you. We ask, Lord, that you would show us the way, even where there appears to be no way. Lord, that as we step forward in faith, our walk would become healed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, y'all go eat lots and have a good day.